Hello, welcome to Sarah Sessions, sessions where we have conversations of the heart, of the mind, and of the soul that help us heal and get inspired to spread more kindness, more love, more care in a world that seems a little tired. So I'm here with Micah McIntyre, and I've met this wonderful woman diving at Utila Dive Center. And we've just kind of connected, and unfortunately, we haven't had the chance to catch up until now, finally. And we are talking about a little bit of a, everything we experienced here on Otilla. And she is a water engineer. Did I say that right? Yeah, process engineer for water treatment. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, very environmentally aware and likes to get involved in projects that really inspire people to make the change to become better humans in this little <laughs> world that we have that's breaking down in a thousand pieces. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds scary. <laughs> okay, a little dramatic. But like yeah. Yeah, basically so, thank you. I feel honored that you want to have a chat with me. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is that I'm trying to do in the world, but I think to get inspired and to inspire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I work with water because I love water. It is the spice of life, literally. And I feel together we can achieve so much mm-hmm. you know, without all the fear mongering that is going on. Mm-hmm. Small steps everywhere can make a big difference. difference. Yeah, make a absolutely. Difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell me, how did you get involved in um, becoming a water specialist engineer? So, uh, And what does that mean <laughs> for the common person? Okay. Um, well, to give a brief background, so I was born and raised in South Africa. And um, I've just always loved the environment. I've always loved um, anything outside. And I also geek out a little bit about the really, really small stuff. Um, so I decided to study science. I wanted to really study science. And initially I started with microbiology and biochemistry. And after doing that for a few years, I realized that I want to work with water specifically. Um, so after completing my master's in environmental sciences, I decided to move to the Netherlands because we're better to get experience with water management and water treatment in general than the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. My mom is Dutch, so that made it a bit, uh, a bit easier for me to get there. And um, I had no clue what I would be doing in water, just that I would be working with water. <laughs> and I actually landed a job in Amsterdam as a process engineer for wastewater treatment. Um, so that is basically every time you flush the toilet, it goes somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. That water and whatever is in that water hopefully does not end up, <laughs> unlike Utila, <laughs> in the surface waters. <laughs> you know? You. Um, <laughs> As a Canadian, I can imagine. You love going hiking, you love walking yeah. next to streams. Um, mm-hmm. So it's better to treat that water first before we let that water go back into the environment. So that's basically, um, in a nutshell, what I work with. So I work with companies that uh, treat the water, uh, specifically in the Netherlands, but I've also worked in a few other countries, uh, especially third world countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much more to wastewater than just cleaning the water. Uh, in the wastewater, there are resources that we can get back. So, for example, phosphor reserves in the world are getting depleted. They're mined. 
at the moment, and a lot of feces consists of a lot of phosphor, phosphate. Mm -hmm. So you have nutrients that you can get back from, from wastewater that you can reuse eventually. Wow. Um, yeah, right now legislation is the biggest issue, but uh, we've always got a hurdle to get over. And you can also produce energy, biogas, from wastewater. There's a lot of organic compounds in there. That's amazing. Yeah. So there are a lot of different um, resources, nutrients that you can get back mm -hmm. from that. And even warmth. I mean, coming from cold countries, a great way to get warmth back into the houses is from water. It's a great transportation of heat or cold, for that matter. So you could even take heat out of the water and mm -hmm. use that. That's right, right? Yeah. So in a nutshell, yeah, it's cleaning the water to make sure it doesn't affect the biodiversity or the quality of uh, oh my god of our environment. I and think you're my hero. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you so much. That's really cool. That's it really is cool. a very cool job. Thank you for explaining that so well. Because um, who knows, right? We have all these titles and we say things, but we don't really know what another person is really intending to say because we don't really know their description of the yeah. job and we do a lot of assumptions and presumptions, so thank you for that. Um, I find that you're a very uh, environmentally conscious person and um, all the pollution that we see here on Attila has, has really opened my eyes to uh, the waste from Guatemala coming down the shores and to the waste and um, extra usage that we have here because we are an island. So um, that's how I know that you are very environmental friendly and we've had a, co a couple of quick conversations, but I'd like to know more about your position on that, if you've worked with any NGOs or organizations um, and what you think of that. Um, so I feel like, yeah, that's a I, I want you to, question. I want, because I want you to explore um, the parts yeah. that you want to explore. I want to give freedom to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so coming from South Africa myself, and having worked in, in Europe and having gone to various countries, what, one thing we all need to realize is there's not one solution fits all. Absolutely not. Different environments have different infrastructures, have different governments, have different policies. And that is the first thing that we need to recognize. So solutions that we use in, in, in Europe, for example, will not necessarily be applicable everywhere else. That is because the government does a lot of the funding mm -hmm. for the infrastructure there. Okay. And what I've seen, for example, in, in Ghana and even in Lebanon, is they'll get some funding because it's one of the sustainable development goals, right? Is to treat wastewater. Mm -hmm. So they'll get some funding. Um, subsidies, and then they get companies from all over the world, whether it be from Europe, a lot of times China, they come in and they build something big, a big uh, technical treatment system. That system runs for one or two years and it breaks down and it just stands there and the wastewater goes right past it back into the ocean. So a big technical system, yes, we can put on all the engineering, you know, German engineering we want to, is not going to fix the solutions in Africa because if they do not have the knowledge or the finances to maintain this, the, the system, that's not going to help. So you have to look specifically per country what solutions you can bring mm. and what the people themselves can do. You want, especially in countries like South America and, and countries in Africa, you want easy systems with low maintenance. 
that is at least for wastewater or, or reuse the wastewater, which is sometimes also a finicky topic because there are still parasites mm -hmm. and, and pathogens in wastewater that we see here in Chile a bit with uh, some people getting some infections from being in the water. Right. Um, so that is one controversial topic, but you could reuse that water as well for farming, for irrigation, for example. Um, so that's just the wastewater, but another big problem, as you were talking about, the runoff from mainland going mm -hmm. into the ocean is the plastics. Yeah. And that is a whole topic on its own, obviously. Yeah. We've got microplastics, we've got macroplastics. Incredible. In the ocean we have an, 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 a plastic Incredible. island that is as big as France, if I'm uh, not mistaken. And I am still waiting for the solutions for plastic. And not just to take the plastic out of the water, that's already happening, um, but that we stop using so many throwaway plastics, you know, yeah. single-use plastics. That's just, and it's not changing. It's not changing at all yet. Well, I think the change that we'd like to see will take quite a bit of time because um, we've been using our own bags back home for the past few years. And if you want to buy a bag, if you want a bag, you've got to buy the bag. Um, so everybody brings usually their own bags, right? Yeah. I'm hoping that that's making a little bit of a change, a little bit of a difference, but you know, it's just one of those things where it makes us feel good about ourselves. Yeah, I would say bottles. bottles. Everyone talks about straws. Um, bottles, that's a big problem, and everyone's watched Sea Spiracy. I have my own opinions about that show. Yeah. But fishing nets did as well. Fishing nets is. It's true what they say about fishing nets. <laughs> that part is very true. That's also one of the biggest issues, especially for marine life at the moment. Hmm. So plastic bottles and fishing nets, I would say, is plastic bags. Yes, I think everywhere people have gone down using plastic bags. It's even gone into paper bags, reusing your own plastic bags. You've got right. some uh, cloth bags that I also use back at home. Um, but I think we're still very far from where we want to be when it comes to plastics. Um, and another thing actually that I want to mention that we don't consider, uh, it was an interesting topic that we had in the Netherlands. So wastewater treatment facilities contribute to about 20% of the nutrients that they find in the water at the moment. So as a government, you need to decide where you want to spend that money on to um, better the water quality, right? Wastewater treatment, yeah, it sounds like a good place to improve the water quality, but where is the other 70, 80% coming from? And what they realized, 50% of the pollutants in water come from farmlands. Nutrient runoff from farmlands, pesticides. And that makes it an extra difficult topic, obviously, because you can't stop farming. How do we go about that? And that's why this is an issue that is not just for the water experts. But mm. it's for people that enjoy walking next to streams, people that own land, people that have farms. It is literally for everybody. And that's why I think it's also something that we should all look into together and determine where is the best point to focus finances on or where is the best place to resolve some of the issues at least. So in all the environmental, so other than just water, I think there's a lot of um, pollutant issues, global warming or global cooling or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to get into that topic. Um, what are your ideas about that? About pollution? About how do you <laughs> see what's going on in the world right now? 
with China, with India, mm -hmm. with places like here. And there are a lot of good initiatives, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, most of these initiatives are being um, done or taken by the countries that have had a lot of time and money to develop themselves to such a, uh, a situation where they have the opportunity, and especially the financial means, to invest in these more sustainable solutions. Um, unfortunately, that, may, that is a bit more difficult for the poorer countries. Um, and as I mentioned before, if you would look at, for example, CO2 emissions, so we can talk about the yearly CO2 emissions of countries or the cumulative CO2 emissions of countries over so many years. Now, the developed worlds have emitted a lot more over the last 50 years than the non-developed worlds. The non-developed worlds are emitting a lot more per year at the moment, but are not even close to what the, the developed worlds have, have reached. And this is actually um, a discussion that comes up a lot with, uh, I think it's with the United Nations, um, that the first worlds are trying to tell the, the third world, if I can put it that way, to stop polluting as much, but they never gave them the opportunity that they had to develop. So it's a very, very difficult topic. I mean, obviously, we all understand that we should be emitting less, mm -hmm. uh, polluting less, but how to go about that and how can we focus it in the right spots? Because if you look at, again, Europe, it's uh, <laughs> where I have the most experience, they have a lot of initiatives going. Um, the Netherlands, the tiny little country, it absolutely is, but climate is, and especially uh, air pollution is for all of us. So the Netherlands is doing really good. It's got laws enforced of a, a maximum speed of 100 kilometers an hour. But then you look at the neighbors, and they're not doing that. You look at the bigger continents like Africa, they're not doing that. So yes, we have A-grade oil. You're not allowed to use anything below A-grade oil. The lesser-grade oil, it's shipped off to Africa and they still use it. So yeah. what have we solved? So it's a lot bigger than just country-specific. And if we could start looking at it that way, if Europe could start helping, and obviously corruption in a lot of, a lot of the world is difficult, but if the richer governments could start helping the, the less fortunate governments, that would... That would go a long way, but I know that's a completely different topic all over because... Yeah, well... Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's just lighten up a little. Uh, what do you think that as um, island, as people that come onto this island or as islanders that live here, people would need to help Utila get rid of some of the garbage that we have or some of the pollution that we have? So, well, the pollution is difficult because at the moment the toilets are flushed and it goes straight straight to the lagoon. And unfortunately, even just to put in septic tanks per household, that would cost too much. So that would not be a realistic option. Um, uh, the mangroves do help a lot for, for, for pollution, so you could focus more on... Um, let's say, natural natural solutions that you don't really need to maintain where the environment does it for you. Um, but I don't see anyone planting any more mangroves very soon. So I would say the biggest focus would have to be on plastic because that's where you could make the biggest impact. And I would love it if they would like just weekly have beach cleanups. You know, all the, all the dive shops here would just pull their resources once a week, beach cleanup. That, that would, would already be amazing. Fantastic. I must be honest though, I have no idea what they do with their trash. 
Yeah, me neither. I think they burn it. <laughs> I've seen like big yeah. smokes going up. Probably to burn it. Yeah. And a lot of because I mean maybe that's the first question that should be asked and we can find initiatives for plastic reuse. Well, I mean, behind the houses on the main road, I don't know if you've seen, but there is so just to describe this place, there is a couple of apartments of a couple of floors and they're rented by room or by one bedroom um, kitchen and whatnot. And the back apartments have a view over the part of the lagoon where it's so filled with garbage that it's like a dumpster and that's the lagoon. And I look at that and I'm like, how is, how is it that nobody has ever done anything about this? Does it take that much money? Does it take that much resources to, because this is affecting tourism as well. Absolutely. Um, I would, right? I, in my opinion, it's a political question. Um, not all pathways are very easy. So even if you got someone with the initiative and found a company that could reuse all that plastic, could organize the logistics of shipping it, um, there are often legal barriers that prevent certain initiatives. This is unfortunately the legal system is always behind the, the innovative uh, mindset, if I can put it that way. Um, so I, if you could get a way to just at least find somewhere to go with that plastic, someone mm -hmm. can use it, um, that would already help a lot. But also it takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of patience and mm -hmm. some people lose themselves in it and just become so upset and frustrated because there's so many barriers that you walk into that you think, you know, I'm trying to do a good thing and it's just not worth it. And I've seen that in a few places here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And that's unfortunate. So if you could, I, I think that would be a, a great start actually, before we start collecting the plastic, well, no, we can always stop collecting the plastic, but figure out what we do with the plastic. Because I'll never forget, I did a project in, in Ghana and they had this great initiative that, okay, all the plastic bottles would be collected everywhere and they'd give a really small amount of money for a plastic bottle because that could be reused. It's a similar system that they use in the Netherlands and you can give in all your plastic bottles and you get a few cents for it. It's, it's fantastic. And it's also made easy logistically. You go into the grocery store and there's a place where you can give it in. Mm -hmm. So in Ghana, they had this initiative and it worked fantastically. The people cleaned up, all the plastic was cleared from the streets. And then they had a lot of plastic. They had nowhere to go with it. So they literally just built heaps of plastics. And what do you think? Oh, no and what happened in the end? It started raining and then the plastic went. Yeah. They, had, they didn't know what to do with all the plastic. So it's maybe good to start at the end first and say, okay, what do we do with all this plastic? And then... <laughs> I know that there are, um, unfortunately, I do not have the information with me right now, but I do know that there are quite a few uh, non profit organizations and initiatives where they actually reuse the plastic from the ocean to yeah. create other things, um, including like bricks for houses, uh, including um, anything really. Yeah. Or, like you can make a lampshade with it or they remold the plastic and or they use it as sand and yeah, crafts or whatnot. So I don't know. Maybe we have to 
make a request to some of these places and exactly. get the city hall to be part of it and be able to start something there. That would be great. But yeah, yeah. someone to take the lead in that. that yeah. Can, you know, that can get all these organizations together. That would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Find the reuses, find ways to reuse that plastic. So if there is anybody out there that actually has an idea of an organization that could help something like this, uh, this reusal of of the plastics that are on Utila, which is quite awful every every beach, everywhere you go, even in the middle of the ocean, you're watching a fish and all of a sudden you realize there's this piece of plastic right in the middle and you're like, oh my God. You know, it's one thing to see it on pictures. Um, it's another thing to witness it when you're trying to get away from, you know, the outside world and the outside world comes into your little bubble with garbage. Yeah. <laughs> In the deepest parts yeah. of the ocean that we as humans have been able to reach, they found plastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, quite frustrating. It's pretty frustrating. Yeah. But, um, so how have you arrived to Utila? Let's. I'm going to just switch because, you know, that's my ADHD, if you like. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, how have you come to Attila? Because the only reason why we're having this conversation is because you decided to come and I decided to come and we met and somehow the energy clicked and, you know, whatever. How did you arrive here? Why did you choose Attila? So my boyfriend and I um, decided a few years ago we wanted to take a year off and go traveling through Central and South America. Um, we've both been scuba diving for quite a few years, just fun diving. Um, we've been to various places in the world, so we absolutely love it. And um, my boyfriend specifically actually wanted to take the career in diving a little bit further. So he was looking also for places to dive. Um, so he came across Utila as one of the best uh, diving schools in the world are here, and it was on our way. So we were saving up for this. We saved for quite a few years. Uh, corona hits, obviously, the pandemic. I'm sure everyone is well aware of that. Yes. Um, and we were stuck at home for two years. That was horrible, to say the least. Uh, at least we, we were still able to work. So uh, in that regard, I definitely cannot complain. But we did not travel nearly as much as we used to. That used to be the way to keep our peace of mind. And we decided it is now the time to go. We, as also due to not traveling, we were able to save enough up. So we decided to come down and start in Utah and do our rescue diver course, Dive Master. And I did the Go Eco, which is a fantastic Wonderful. course, of course. As a, as a scientist and an environmental mm -hmm. scientist, I loved it. And Chris went on to do his instructor course. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Would you say that there's something about this island that has helped you um, progress as a person or as a scientist? Or Absolutely. I think the people that I've met here have been fantastic. A lot of them, obviously, there are a few oddballs, but um, <laughs> to put it politely. But I've met some very, very interesting people that have just changed up their lives, that are doing new things, going out of their comfort zone, which is really inspiring. And furthermore, the Go Eco course really brought me so much closer to, to the underwater natural world, which I've always just been fascinated with, absolutely love. 
Um, I don't think there's any kind so of peace magical. or tranquility you can experience, right, as under the water. It's amazing. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been lovely. And also, I mean, the difficult times. As you know, I ruptured my eardrum halfway through my Go Eco course, so that was unfortunate. But that also gave me a moment to reflect and really, really deal with the situation. I was heartbroken. I was in tears, not because of the pain, but because I couldn't get in the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it gave me some moments to sit in really difficult times, at least personally. But then marine life came to you, and you have uh, spotted yes. eagle rays just jumping out of the water for you as a show. Amazing. So yeah. that's, <laughs> that was a good omen, for sure. <laughs> that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, wonderful. I love that. And what have you taken from Utila? What are you going to be taking with you from oh. Utila? Except for all the many friendships. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I definitely made some lifelong friends that I hope to see again somewhere down the line. Maybe again in Utila, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely the conservation and diving side, I would love to explore that a bit more. Um, I would love to help out the reefs in general. I mean, it's such a fascinating world. And once you understand how much the reef systems mean for the rest of the ocean, it's, it's crazy. So I would love to, wherever I can, obviously help out in that regard. Now I've got some of the the skills, the know-how, so that would be fantastic to take along with me. That's wonderful. And you have been a lifelong traveler, I believe, and you are now traveling from Utila, you went to Guatemala, and you are going to Nicaragua next. Yes. What is inspiring this motivation that you actually feel for getting up, taking your savings, and getting out there and, you know, building a life of dreams, even though some days are harder? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I actually think it was born into me. My parents are both uh, very big travelers. They met backpacking in China. My dad is Canadian. My mom is Dutch. They moved to South Africa. So uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to be traveling my whole life. I think my brothers were almost born on airplanes. (laughs) So uh, my parents would take us off. And that's how I also got into diving. I was 17. And my parents said, well, you guys have to get your diving certificates because we want to go on a diving holiday. And um, since as long as I can remember, meeting people different from me, uh, different ways of living, different food, different landscapes, it's just, it's, I, don't, I don't want to say it's awoken something in me, but it really, that has actually been more purpose to life than just nine to five. I do the nine to five so that I can travel. <laughs> right. So that's that, why I think for us the decision was quite easy because I work so that I can travel. Yeah. So that you can live even more fully yeah. through experience. Exactly. You learn so much from people that are different from you. Yeah. To hear your own thoughts and your own opinions, yeah. that is very limiting. <laughs> if we would actually build that unity instead of um, pushing the diversity and differences between us, as we were saying earlier, I think we might actually come to terms with uh, losing our patience and our cool on some topics that are just not worthy of your time. Very often, most things that we think of, that we worry about, that we bring onto, into our heart and latch onto, there's something behind it. Well, what is it that you're really latching onto? And what is the reason that it's so 
attached to you or you are so attached to it. So Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's it's, it's it's fascinating though. It feels like everyone you meet needs a purpose and so oftentimes they try and define a purpose and then fight other people about that purpose, mm-hmm. which is if it's a real purpose, I don't think you should be fighting about it. But it does give you a lot of understanding when people get a bit confrontational at least. You know, you have a bit of a an idea where they come from if you've met more than just yourself. Right. Around you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna stop this right now and I'm gonna restart another one because we are at the end of the 30 minutes. I will be right back. Stay tuned. So I'm here with Micah McIntyre and we've been um talking about a little bit of utila, a little bit of the environment and what we can do, a little bit about the water. And I think we should talk about a little bit of the reason why everybody is here on Utila. We had just, you had just mentioned something about purpose and how we are all looking for purpose. In this day and age, I find that there's a mental health crisis that is not being, um, taken seriously by the everyday Joe. And I think um, that a little more awareness wouldn't be too bad. And I think that awareness would actually help all of us heal from whatever it is that we're trying to get away from or run towards. Um, For me, it's been, this whole trip was for healing purposes. In other words, uh, swimming, breathing, learning new skill, getting myself out of my comfort zone, um, checking off a couple of my bucket list uh, things, and also allowing myself the time, the space of actually just being with me and not serving, not offering, not giving, just to see if I could give this thing back to me. Um, so this journey has been part of a healing process for me and a lot of the people that I've met here I have found are on a similar journey either overwhelmed or taking a break from school or quit their job or here on vacation because they're burned out or their job um, wasn't serving them anymore because all of a sudden they're not allowed to make their own decisions and they're nurses that are underpaid, overworked, or bankers that just see the reality of, you know, what the heck am I doing with my life? Or, you know, the father that wants to learn how to scuba dive to be able to teach his kids. Um, What have you seen and how has this whole journey helped you heal? Um, inner beings of yourself or process some of the information that you've taken in without really realizing? I know it's a big question. Yeah. I like those big questions. (laughs) So sorry. But it allows you to expand however you like. So, and it allows the listeners to. I think a lot of it I already saw before I came here. So even before the pandemic, um, uh, as a millennial, I mean, we, I went to university, I went to work, and now we climbed, we climbed that ladder. We, we tried to do things, some of us, you know, and some are just there to climb the corporate ladder, which 
is also okay. I'm not, I'm not here to judge. And I realized within my, my, my peer group that everyone was, I don't know if I want to call it burned out or bored out. So that's, that's a term someone mentioned to me, bored out. But that inspiration you had when we left university and I'm going to do all these great things and, you know, or make all this money or run the company one day and we're going to work really hard to get there. And we are all uh, around our 30s, a little bit older. And that inspiration, that, that feistiness was disappearing for all of it. All of it. No, people were jumping from job to job because they couldn't find what they were looking for. And a lot of people say, more money. Yes, more money. But that is, at the, at the end of the day, that's not what, what was giving them the fire. It was not what was, I mean, if you love the, the hustle and bustle of the corporate life, that's awesome and you love it. But everyone was losing their spark. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit. And I saw it, especially in my partner. Um, he worked in finance, he quit his job before we came here. And he told me straight out, I can't do this for the next 20 years of my life. And I mean, working in finance as a financial controller, that, I mean, it'll pay the bills, it'll get you on a few holidays if you want. But he was just, there was, there was no fire, there was no passion. And he told me he's done. And I sat with myself then and I thought, I mean, I, I do enjoy what I do, but this two years sitting behind a computer in Zoom meetings, consulting, and not seeing any of the, 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 the good things that we did, because I'm an advisor, right, and I consult. And whether that has a good impact or not, I usually don't even see until maybe 10 years later. I still mm -hmm. have to wait for a few if they get built. Um, and I realized that I can't sit indoors behind a computer all day. I just, I cannot do this. I need to be outside more. Um, and so when we finally uh, arrived here, we met so many people with, this, with almost exactly the same story. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just so interesting meeting these people as well that said, you know what, the banker from Switzerland, for example, mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's a pretty good job. It's compared, you know, the rest of the world is looking at us like, what are you complaining about? The banker from Switzerland that said, done. He told me personally, he, his family still thinks he's just on a, on a, on a, on a, on a bit of a break. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's not a bit of a break. This is no. This is the this life is, that I choose to yes. create for myself, exactly, and to live fully now rather than after I retire yes. from, you know, getting my pension and. But that's maybe. Yes, and that is so interesting. We before we left, we had goodbye dinners with friends, and so many mentioned, "Oh, they wish they could do this." I said, "Why don't you? You don't have kids yet. Why don't you do this?" No, 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 I'll lose my position in my company. <laughs> like, is that is that the reason to not... I mean, it's only no. a year. You could come back to the same company or go to the next company. I mean, usually climbing the ladder involves jumping from company to company. It doesn't always happen in your own company. Mm -hmm. It does to, to a fortunate few, but you will never be this young ever again in your life. You and will, you will have, never have the energy that you have or the spark that you can create. Exactly. And God knows that if you discover that spark that's within, you actually unleash a new possibility and a new life. You're always exactly. one decision away anyways. So Exactly, and also tomorrow is not promised. So if you wait until the current retirement age is 67, so that's a great age to scuba dive or go climb a volcano, or, uh -huh. but I mean, that's also if you get there. 
no one has promised you tomorrow. No one has promised you next year. Yeah. And if you, I mean, obviously we're in a very, we spoke about this as well, we're in a very privileged uh, situation right now to be able to be here. So, yeah. and there are many people in the world that can do this, but they're, like you said, they're scared. It's out of their comfort zone. They're, they'll lose their position in their job because this is what society has told them they need to be. And... It's also that attachment that we create in our minds to the things that we identify to, um, that identification of the self, I think. I, I don't mean to be getting too deep here, but that identification of the self that you do not recognize in others, and all of a sudden you don't know yourself enough to be able to even know how to cope with another yeah. person rather than... You know. Exactly. I yeah. think that's that's the best example because these days when you meet someone, you know, the first question is, "What do you do?" Yeah. That is who you identify with. I am what a lawyer. I'm an mean? engineer. I'm yeah. But you don't say, "I am a diver." I am a snowboarder. I you know, musician so, or musician. Exactly. I write books or you know, I I paint. No, who you are is your current position in whatever company you're working at, or even just for yourself. And that, is, that shows also where we all are as humans and why everyone is just so burnt or bored out because is this, is this life? Is this all I am? I like the question, um, what brought you here? Tell me your story. How did you get here? And in that story, I think we could learn so much about one another and we could probably be inspired by one another um, quite well as well. Rather than what do you do? Yeah. What does that tell you about who I am? Exactly. Right? What brought you here? Mm, exactly, yeah. exactly. What is what inspired you? What made you make the move that is so uncomfortable? How long have you been thinking about it? Or how long have you been planning for it? Or did you even know you were gonna be here next last year, you know? Um, exactly. Those yeah. are the more fun questions in any case. Do you think that being here helps find purpose? Um, I think purpose is a very, very personal thing. And um, I think you can go to the ends of the earth searching for it, but in the end of the day, it's in yourself. So if something does help you reflect more, whether that's being underwater or being on an island or sitting at home in your attic with some good music on the background, that's I think that's how you'll find it. I mean, it's something most of us are searching for. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say happiness. Um, but it's so broad. I know, happiness. But what happiness, will make you happy? And joy. Also, happiness, to, to be cliche, happiness is not a destination. No. That's the journey. Yeah, absolutely. But purpose, purpose could be finding peace and quiet in your mind. Um, having a good time with friends, that, that could be a purpose. You know, being there for your family. That's also a purpose. You Allowing to. yourself to be vulnerable? Yes. Ooh. That's a great purpose. I mean, you can also have more than one purpose. Of course. I mean, life is so big and the world, you know, you on this little speck in this huge universe and we're all looking for this purpose in this little speck in this huge universe. It's all within you. Yeah, I agree. We are all made of stardust. I do believe that. And scientific Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, thank you so much for joining me in chatting about our conversations here.
previously now uh, sharing your thoughts and opinions and accepting to be a guest here on this very baby podcast of mine. <laughs> um, one last question. How has your diving impacted who you are today? Oof, wow. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I've always said one of the places I can actually meditate or find stillness is under the water. Um, once I realized that at a young age, I never wanted to stop. I just wanted to be under the water all the time. And as you know, I also did the free diving course where there's even more stillness because there are no bubbles. Um, it's really taught me to be in the moment. And I know this is something that so many self-help books tell you to do, but it is a really difficult thing to actually do. And being under the water, um, it doesn't matter what surrounds me, but I'm always in and that's why I love it and I hope to take that out of the world a little bit more. <laughs> so it's a, it's a journey but I think that is my favorite bit of it is that that's one of the places I can be in the now and not in the yesterday or the tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I agree I love that I love that and being underwater in that contemplative state that brings you into a trance of a of a meditative perfect stillness of the water and you're just focusing on that beautiful fan or that nudie branch or that crab that you see or that fish that and then something swims by oh. and it just knocks your breath away and <sighs> it feels like it could have been a split second or an eternity at the same time yeah. you're just there watching it and absolutely it's amazing quite fascinating how um, the experience of being in the water actually changes your body as well. Not only in the pressure that it has on your skin and how it impacts how your inner being works, like your digestive system, your mind, and it actually helps you heal that salt water and that pressure. It kind of feels like you're weightless, right? Um, Is there any way you can fly without wings? Exactly. So if ever you haven't tried anything like that, please, by all means, go on a limb and get out of your comfort zone. Call, make those appointments, look into it. Just get, get curious on what inspires you and what your dreams are. Because without dreams, we don't get anywhere. And without bringing them to word, we cannot bring them to the world and to ourselves. So say it out loud, manifest it, talk about it, plan it, dream it, allow yourself the freedom of being in that space, no matter what's going on around you, just for a split second. It might do you good to the soul, to the mind, and to the heart. Thank you, Micah, for being part of this. And I wish you all a very good morning, night, evening, wherever you are. Please stay safe, stay blessed, and keep on staying curious. Thank you for having me. Um, I just realized I did not actually get her contacts from her directly to your beautiful ears. So, Micah, how can we get in contact with you if we've got an idea or something that might uh, serve in your purpose of finding solutions to and exit strategies for management, water management, or pollution, or environmental 
uh, opportunities. And oh, that would be fantastic. I'm open to any ideas out there. That's the only way we can move forward. It's mm-hmm. four minutes together. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. Uh, so you can find it under Micah McIntyre. My, I think, what do you call it? The Instagram name is Mickey McIntyre. It's my nickname that I have for my family. Um, That's M I K K I. Yes. Underscore. Uh, underscore McIntyre. M C I N T Y R E. Um, or you can even send me an email. Uh, so that's mikeamcintyre at gmail.com. So M-A-A-I-K-E-N-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I hope you got that. And if you have any questions, comments, uh, please feel free to contact me through Instagram, social media, or you can find me online at sarahsessions.com. Thank you.